0: I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dharndekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, as part of our Diaspora series, a conversation with United States Congressman from Illinois, Raja Krishnamurti. Thank <laughs> you. Trust me, I know what I'm doing has been on a summer break, so I'm excited now to get back to it. And I'm truly grateful to everyone for listening to the show, downloading and subscribing and rating the podcast on your favorite platforms and following us on social media at Dr. Abhay I'm also proud that this episode is the first of a series of conversations collaborating closely with Indiaspora, the nonprofit organization which is inspiring the global Indian diaspora to be a force for good. And exemplifying this mission, as a friend of diaspora, as a voice for his constituents and for so many Indian and South Asian Americans, is Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamurti, representing the 8th District in the state of Illinois. Now, his contributions are fairly numerous, serving on many committees, including Intelligence, Oversight and Reform, and a subcommittee on the coronavirus. He's also vice chair of the LGBTQ plus Equality Caucus, co-chair of the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus Immigration Task Force, and an assistant whip for the Democratic Caucus. Raja was born in India and immigrated with his family to the US when he was young, with a journey that saw public housing and food assistance before eventually settling in Peoria, Illinois. He went to Princeton and then to law school at Harvard before returning to Illinois as a lawyer, working in both the public and private sector, and also actively working in the early 2000s with Barack Obama on his House and Senate campaigns. Raja has served in Congress since 2017 and is now running for re-election this fall. He's been a leader on a range of issues from voting rights to supporting women and working families to climate action. Two fun facts by the way, he's a die-hard Chicago Cubs fan and was born Subramanyam Raja Krishnamurti, so those 29 letters have proudly served to represent us well in many households. Now lately, many have been feeling an onslaught of crises that are making the American story feel quite chaotic. With so much on the table that's critical, but for me, I was curious to zoom out and at least start with something we have in common. Just two Indian-American dads having a good summer chat, Chicago style. You know, I feel like this is, again, like I just mentioned, a a good summertime chat between two Indian-American dads, sort of our uh, Ferris Bueller moment, if you
1: will. There you go. I, I look forward to it.
0: You know, with with so much going on, and especially as a father, as a citizen, as a congressman, you know, the news of the past month has just been so, so tough and challenging, especially for those of us who are, are sitting and watching and for you having a front seat to it all, certainly all of it with gun violence and climate deregulation, abortion rights, all the things that you're so passionate about. How have you reflected on the current state of affairs as it presents itself with such a confluence of of almost uh, urgency and and
1: in some way shock. I think that, you know, rather than agonize, we have to organize. I think this is the time for us to act and do whatever we can with regard to protecting reproductive freedom, trying to curtail uh, the kind of the proliferation of weapons of war in public spaces throughout our country, um, and then, and then also, you know, shoring up our democracy because voting rights uh, and other matters are still urgent, and uh, we need to take action. So, you know, that takes a couple different forms of action. One is uh, actually passing legislation through the House uh, that addresses each of those issues. Just last night, for instance, we uh, uh, fearing that. The Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade would also affect uh, gay marriage rights. We passed legislation codifying gay marriage in our national laws. Um, Of course, it goes to the Senate, uh, where unfortunately, a lot of these different matters have been filibustered. So that that leads to action number two, which is we have to hold people accountable in the elections coming up with regard to where they stand on each of these issues and then elect candidates who are willing to vote uh, appropriately on these particular uh, topics or and or create carve-outs in the filibuster rules to allow for consideration of these topics so that the will of the people can really become the law of the land. That is essential if we are going to have a functioning democracy that works for everybody.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm so glad you brought up gay marriage um, and the ability to, for everyone to sort of stay equal in that realm. And it's so incredibly important to remember to organize and not agonize. And we're grateful for folks like you who are doing such great action with this. A- as a dad, did you have a moment of, of some uh, shock and agony uh, in some ways, sort of helping you to motivate uh, to, how to get organized and, and really take action?
1: Absolutely, you know when, you know when Roe v. Wade was overturned, we knew it was going to happen. But it's like, you know, when you know that a, a relative is, is about to pass uh, at some point in the near future, uh, there's only so much you can prepare for when it actually occurs. But when it happens, it creates it creates real heartache, and yeah. it creates uh, a sense of loss that's hard to address. And the same goes for, you know, Roe v. Wade. It was, it was a, it was a law that generations of girls and women could rely on uh, including women in my own family. You know, I have a daughter, I'm obviously married. My mother is still uh, healthy and with us. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about all those women in those States where the trigger laws are going to basically ban abortion and uh, they're going to be without the means to exercise their true freedom. Now, why is that important? Well, in our country, we believe that uh, men and women are equal, but you can't have equality if one gender can't even control their own bodies. That doesn't make any sense. Um, Switching gears to gun violence, on July 4th, we had a Uh, a mass shooting in a 4th of July parade at Highland park, which is just the next district over from, from my congressional district. And um, again, it was shocking. It was, um, it was a reminder that as long as there's no common sense gun regulation in this country, nobody nowhere is truly safe. And that is a sobering thought.
0: No, sobering indeed. And I mean, I thought of, of this as, as a father, as a healthcare provider, when I think of all these things sort of layered on each other. And then I layer in another election cycle coming up and the January 6th hearings, all the things that are happening globally, that there seems to be this sort of spirit of almost distrust and disillusionment, of course, with our government systems and our public institutions. Yet, how do you as a leader and someone with the vision to be able to organize and, and really the motivation and the compelling nature to act on these things, how do you recultivate and in some ways reinvigorate trust and confidence in, in our, in these
1: institutions and systems? I think we have to get things done. We have to solve some problems. I think that's really what engenders trust. Um, I think when government uh, acts especially in a bipartisan way, I find that people are surprised and pleasantly so, and it really helps them to feel that their government is uh, acting on their behalf. When we devolve into name calling and finger pointing and uh, speechifying as opposed to problem solving, I think people get very frustrated and they get cynical And their trust in the institution goes down. Now, there are also reforms that need to be done to increase people's trust in government. So one of the things that I'm pursuing, along with some of my colleagues, including uh, Jonah Goose and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is banning the trading of stocks by individual members of Congress. Um, This is something that a lot of people don't, don't know. They kind of assume this was already forbidden but we technically are allowed to trade an unlimited number of individual stocks even though we have special access to uh, non-public information that we gain through briefings through hearings through our knowledge of what legislation is going to be introduced and what's going to pass and that's just unfair and i think that that really erodes trust in the institution
0: at the end of the day I I think some of this must come back down to empathy and empathy with constituents, with the American people and and generating that confidence in some ways to not only just bridge into things like you just mentioned, but also to compromise. By the way, in thinking of your own journey, are these some of the lessons perhaps or, or some of the takeaways that you took from your time uh, with Barack Obama, with others, where you've been able to see how this can work actually, you know, so well, and
1: even from your own uh, experiences. Oh, absolutely! I think that where we are able to work together, get things passed, signed into law, and people can feel the benefits of it, um, they feel happy about their government. I think, interestingly, during the pandemic. I think we passed four or five major relief programs on an almost unanimous basis that really helped to save people's lives and their businesses and livelihoods. Um, I think back to, for instance, the PPP program, uh, which is the payroll protection program that uh, we authorized through the Small Business Administration and how many millions of jobs and businesses were saved? And I, I get comments even today from a lot of people. I helped to craft some of the provisions of that particular program. I get a lot of comments from people even today who say, You helped to save my business, thank you. Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, you helped to um, uh, allow my children to get vaccinated because of a, uh, you know, kind of a, a fast track of the, vaccines um, through the FDA and so forth. So when we put our minds to it, uh, we can get things done and help people. Unfortunately, it only happens uh, more frequently in crises as opposed to on an everyday basis.
0: You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Congressman Raja Krishnamurti. And I want to share more with you now about Indiaspora. A nonprofit whose mission is to inspire and position the global diaspora to be a force for good. The organization is engaged in the areas of philanthropy, social impact entrepreneurship, innovation, as well as civic and nonpartisan political engagement. Indiaspora is active in an ever-expanding list of countries, including the U.S., U.K., Canada, the UAE, Singapore, and Australia. In 2022, Indiaspora is celebrating its 10th year in a big way with the Indiaspora Global Forum in New Delhi in August and the 10th Anniversary Forum in San Jose in October. You can find out more at www.indiaspora.org or follow Indiaspora on Twitter. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I'm Abhay Dandikar, and this is Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation now with Raja Krishnamurti. If I think a little bit about, again, your, your own journey, I'm so curious to, to think about this particular piece, and that is, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. How and perhaps why does your indian Americanness, if you will, matter? as an elected official in 2022?
1: Well, I think that um, there there are multiple answers to that question, but I think that being an uh, in, in Indian American or Desi, if you will, allows us to understand multiple dimensions of the promise and the challenges that face the country. Uh, in terms of the promise, you know, in one generation, in my family, I went from uh, food stamps and public housing, which where I spent half of my early childhood to, um, to being in a position where I can help other people uh, in the same way that I was helped by this government. And, um, you know, a lot of immigrants, especially Indian Americans and others have similar stories where they started out with literally nothing or as as some people tell me, $8 in their pockets. uh, And then they uh, achieved great success in one generation. And that was because of the incredible opportunities, including the public education system here in America. So that both offers hope as well as a path, but it also um, points out that not everybody has those opportunities I think the other um, uh, aspect of being an Indian American is uh, we know what it's like to also maybe uh, be otherized um, or face prejudice or have people question um, you know our our backgrounds, maybe even our loyalties and so forth, and and we know that. Nobody should have to face any of those questions, uh, and if there's anybody who can say this, it's it's us. and that we hate hate, yeah. we hate hate against anybody, and so um, I think being an Indian American or or an immigrant or Desi really allows us a great deal of empathy, um, and 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 that helps a lot in my current job. And I'm struck by
0: the fact that recently you've also had Indian American, South Asian Americans, in fact, engage as, as challengers um, within your, within races. And that must actually feel pretty amazing. You you know, gratefully you've, you've been victorious in some of those, but I'm sure from uh, being proud of the fact that there are more and more who are civically engaged, that that must feel great.
1: Well, I, I think that, um, Let me put it this way. I think that the uh, Indian-American community and the South Asian community are coming of age uh, politically. They're finding their political voices. And it turns out those voices are all across the spectrum at this point. And I think that's a natural uh, outgrowth of assimilation.
0: Yeah. You know, let me ask you this. So many Indian-Americans and Basis and South Asian-Americans are becoming civically engaged and and coming into their own politically, but many of of those in our community also have an eye and attention on news that's happening in the South Asian region as well. And, you know, with all those ties and that cultural sort of affinity back to the region, as someone who sits on the intelligence committee and has such a global perspective um, and a front row seat to all that's going on as part of an immigration task force, how do you respond to people who are trying to juggle both of these worlds and yet still make sure that our, our American priorities and American agenda are, are met, uh, with, you know, incredible gravitas and intelligence.
1: Um, I think that what I find very often is that what happens abroad is important to our priorities here at home and they're kind of bound up together. Um, you know, I see that with regard to global food insecurity. I see that with regard to energy uh, issues. And, you know, we even see that with regard to wars and conflicts. Um, you know, for instance, Ukraine, um, to me, is an exi- existential threat, not just for Ukraine, but for democracies worldwide. And that's why I spent so much time on that particular issue, even though technically it's not directly related or directly impacting my constituents, they care very deeply about it. And, um, and so I find it's time extremely well spent. Yeah. Um, so I think when we, when we have a global focus, I really do think that um, what we do abroad has a, um, a profound impact on even my constituents at home.
0: You know, for the Indian American community, it's always a matter of like, well, how is this affecting politics um, in India? And, and yet do you find that you sometimes have to sort of gently nudge them back to what's so important for us here at home, even though there is that importance of, of how things are affected abroad, it still becomes an engagement, um, issue, you know, for, for us here. And, and a reminder that of course we're Indian Americans and, and, you know, taking pride in, in our, in our American sort of journey.
1: I definitely think that, um, people, you know, when they come here are still following developments at home and India very carefully, they, they still do consider India almost as a second home. And, uh, and, and obviously, because of our mar- modern conveniences, uh, they're able to stay connected as though they were living in India in a lot of, in a lot of instances. It makes a lot of sense to me that they, they are concerned about developments there. And yeah. certainly, we should be concerned as a country about what's happening there. All that being said, what I like to say is, I think you should absolutely root for your home teams, so to speak. You should um, stay connected, uh, stay involved as you like. But can we do so in a way that doesn't prevent cooperation and collaboration here in America on topics of significance and importance to both or all of our communities? When, When those issues abroad start to get in the way of that, Uh, Then uh, I think that perhaps it might be important to rethink how do you balance those compete, you know, those different factors.
0: I love how you put that. And it's amazing to sort of constantly juggle these competing factors. One, which I'm always so curious about, you know, I've heard people say that your once you get elected into office, your first day is the first day also of your next campaign. <laughs> and I'm just so curious—possible uh, to actually successfully govern without the compass that's constantly focused on fundraising and and running for your next campaign, you know, and the specter of, of holding on to that office.
1: Um, I think our campaign finance system and campaign calendar, so to speak, need to be changed substantially uh, over time. Uh, unfortunately, now. The campaign cycle is almost as long as the term itself, the two-year term. And I don't think the founders of the, company, of the country uh, ever thought that a, a, an election cycle would last that long. Uh, for comparison in other countries, for instance, in Europe, uh, you know, the, the election cycle is maybe at most a couple months, a few months maybe, but not two years. And, um, I think we have to change that if we really, um, going back to what you said earlier, um, want to build, rebuild trust in the institutions, there has to be less of a focus on kind of that next election campaign or, um, or, or, or people are going to, you know, really feel that uh, our priorities are somehow distorted even more than they should be.
0: Congressman, I have one last uh, question. I know we're short on time, uh, but I, I just wanted to ask you this. You know, For either established Indian Americans or South Asian Americans or anyone in the diaspora who's, who's really first discovering you now and and getting to know your work and, and really sort of getting to get familiar with all the things that you're doing, what's something you want them to take away that, that makes you particularly hopeful about America in 2022?
1: Well, I think that I'll just tell you about my personal kind of situation, which is I think that, um, for someone like me, who was a product of public housing and food stamps, uh, who is now a United States congressman whose constituents for the most part cannot pronounce my name, uh, you know, to elect me to the U S Congress is a testament to the greatness of this country. And um, I think that what we need to do is make it possible for everyone to feel welcome, uh, to feel uh, empowered and to feel like they can achieve their American dream just as my family did. And, And we need to not only make that dream possible for everyone, but also inspire everyone to have their own dream and aspirations and reach for the stars and, and uh, attain what they want to do and realize their full potential. And if we can do that, um, there's no limit to what America can achieve.
0: Well, Congressman, we're so grateful for you for facilitating this potential and helping all of us achieve uh, so much. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you'll come back and join us again sometime.
1: Hey, thank you so much for your uh, very insightful questions and and, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. We'll hopefully catch a Cubs-Dodgers game at some point. I I would love to to watch uh, a game with you. You know, I've been a lifelong Cubs fan. Let me just say I'm eternally optimistic
0: well. Thank you so much, Congressman, for the optimism, for your service, and for all that you represent. And I want to make sure to remind everyone to please visit indiaspora.org and follow them on social media for the latest events, activities, and ways to get involved. Please also register to vote and make your voice heard. Shout out to my sister for a happy birthday, and to Ranveer for just being himself. Until next time, I'm a Pai because every story told is a lesson learned. Because every lesson learned is a story waiting to be told. I'm Abhay and I share stories about people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, "Trust me, I know what I'm doing." Listen online at RuckusAvenueRadio.com and on the Dash Radio app, or wherever you get your podcast.
2: The apricots and blunts on Pack and Ray. Won't call her friends, cause she's ashamed of being locked into bed. and suffering like a silk garment through a spot of blue ink looking for light and finding a hole where there shouldn't be one I cannot communicate the depth of the feeling truth is, I'm still learning to be open about this This is man's music, and you are listening to Ruckus Avenue, where you keep it up.